Uh, two, two texts this morning. One is going to be from the book of Jeremiah. They're both in the Old Testament. One is from the book of Jeremiah. That's page 656. Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to look at verses 10 through 14. And then we're going to skip back to page 550. And we're going to look at a, a, a text in, in the book of Proverbs. That's Proverbs 29 verse 18. They'll also be uh, on the screen. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans uh, for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And then over in the book of Proverbs, uh, just one verse, and that's going to be Proverbs 29, verse 18. It says, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraints. But blessed is he or, or who keeps the law. Let's pray. Oh God, as we continue in the spirit of worship, we're grateful for the opportunity to gather, uh, whether we're here or we're gathering in this room, the freedoms that we enjoy as part of this country, or uh, whether we, uh, the freedom to, to gather in the weeks to come, or, or so much we're blessed with. And the truth is, oh God, we, we take these for granted. And so on that level, uh, forgive us, oh God, we pray. At the same time, we are mindful of the places around the globe uh, that are not free and that are under oppression, um, warfare, tyranny. Uh, all of this, oh God, we, we pray for. And we pray for peace, not just peace in the world, but peace, peace in the, the heart and, and mind of, of every person. Uh, so all of this, Lord, we live to you and we pray this in your name, uh, just as we pray in every time. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So I want to do something this morning. I want you to imagine that you live in Jerusalem and it's 597 B.C. Now I realize for some of us this is just going to be a giant game of pretend, but for the sake of the sermon, I want you to pretend that it's not 2023, it's 597 B.C. and you live in Jerusalem. Uh, and so if that's the case, then for the last 10 years, you lived in a state of anxiety, I mean, serious anxiety, uh, because for the last 10 years, you've watched the Babylonians hover around you. You've watched the Babylonians destroy the Assyrians, which were your neighbors to the north. You watched them destroy the Egyptians, which are your neighbors to the south. And in Jerusalem, you've watched them <clears throat> bounce back and forth, so much so where they've set up a puppet king that's your ruler now and you're basically nothing more than a vassal state and you've lived like this for 10 years just every day you're waiting on what's the last shoe that's going to drop to to which nebuchadnezzar and his forces would come in and take full ownership uh, over your life and your neighbor's life and, and over your city and so for 10 years, you've lived this way, and uh, Zedekiah is the sort of puppet king, and he's oscillated back and forth to loyalty to Babylon or loyalty to Jerusalem, uh, so much so that in these 10 years, you've witnessed two rebellions. 
And the rebellions were very short-lived, and as soon as they, they sprung, they were immediately tapped down. Uh, but on this last rebellion, at the end of this 10 years, Nebuchadnezzar's had enough. And so he gives the order to, uh, to his forces with his generals. And, and at the end of that 10 years, Nebuchadnezzar, 597, destroyed Jerusalem. And it was, he pancaked the place, meaning that um, the first thing he destroyed was the wall. Now, for us, a wall really doesn't mean anything. It's probably has no more importance than the fence in your yard. But in 597 B.C., the wall was everything because it was your defense mechanism and it was the sole means of your protection. So maybe the closest uh, analogy for us would be is that if tomorrow all of our armed forces were wiped out and the United States had no way of defending herself, if you can somewhat envision that in any, any degree, then you'll get an idea of what it was like to lose a wall. And, and it's not just that the wall was there to protect Jerusalem and the surrounding area from, from Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, but once the wall is destroyed, then you have no ability to stop any forces coming after that. And so the first thing that Nebuchadnezzar did uh, with the Babylonian uh, army is he destroyed the wall around Jerusalem and the greater parts of Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem was left uh, with, with no ability to defend herself. Not long after destroying the wall, and this would have been a matter of days, weeks, days and weeks, he destroyed the temple. Now, the temple, as you would imagine, was the religious identity for the people, and it dated back to, to the days of Solomon. And so for, for a couple of hundred years, this was the source of your religious life. But, but not only just your religious life, for, for the people around Jerusalem, the temple was a source of their national identity. And so not only did you lose the wall, you now lost the source of, of how you saw yourself as an inhabitant uh, in Jerusalem. And it's all gone. So just, I mean, you know, we can make some level of connections to what it would be like in our day and time in 2023 if we lost all of our armed, source, uh, armed services and the ability to defend ourselves against any other country. And then in your mind, whatever you think is the source of what it's like to live in the United States, to be an American, that identity, if that was destroyed, if that's the monuments, if that's the source of our government, if that's the flag, whatever it may be in your mind for what it means to you to be a, you know, a citizen of the United States, if that was gone, then you at least get some idea of what it was like to live in 597 B.C. The devastation. I mean, you can imagine what it would be like. You've lost everything that is associated for what it means to be you. That's now destroyed. And then to, to add insult to injury, Nebuchadnezzar deported a generation of the best and brightest. So we've lost our armed services, we've lost the symbols, whatever it is that is tied to our, our national identity, and then a whole generation of people. Maybe the brightest high schoolers and all the college students, they're deported. 
Imagine what that would be like. That's what it would be like if you lived in Jerusalem in 597 B.C. And so the ripple effect from this is not just from one year or two year, uh, two years. It would it would go on for decades and decades because not only do you, you don't you no longer have the physical means to protect yourself, but then your next generation's leaders, they're all been they're de- deported, and they're on their way to to Babylon to be indoctrinated into the Babylonian way and then assimilated into that way of life. So just if you can pretend with me for a moment to just let your mind go of what that would be like, which is, all, which is a, it, it, it's a jump for us. We, we, we've never had to endure anything like that for ever, really. At least, you know, you can go back to what, Revolutionary War, that might be the beginning or the beginning, you know, but I, last time I checked, none of us were living that way. And our, you know, our relatives that probably fought in that battle are, are long since gone. And so this is devastation uh, in your face without the ability to, to put up any type of protective emotional or physical or spiritual boundaries in order, in order to deal with this. Which is what the psalmist began to describe in Psalm 137 verses 1 through 4. This is the psalm that is associated to what it was like for people in Jerusalem who lived in 597 B.C. It says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. There on the willows we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, Sing, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Sing us one of the songs of what it was like before this happened. You can see they're rubbing it in their face. And then, of course, you get the answer, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? And so that's what it would be like to live in, in 597 B.C. But if you lived then, at the same time, you either knew this person, you definitely would be acquainted with the person Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet, and often his, his boundary where he prophesied was in the Jerusalem area. By now, he's an old man. He's been prophesying for, for decades. And in 597 B.C., he gave his last instructions to the elders. And what he told them was that even though there were some people in Jerusalem that said, hey, Nebuchadnezzar's here, but in a year or two, Nebuchadnezzar's going to be gone. Just, you know, everybody's hang tight. It's going to be okay because in a year or two, we're going to right all this wrong. Jeremiah's message was the opposite. He said, settle in. Stop this idea of trying to do a rebellion or revolt or, or to push off the mantle that now, that, you know, that now sits under, with, with Nebuchadnezzar. He says, you need to settle in for a while. You, you need, because this is going to take 70 years at least. So marry, have children, some way seek to, to live in peace and some level of prosperity in Babylon because this is going to be a while. 70 years, actually. And see, for Jeremiah, the reason why he said this is because what he gathered from God is that all of this sits under God. And in some part of God's plan to bring people back to restoration, why? Because when the 70 years are completed in Babylon, this is God speaking through Jeremiah, I will come to you and will fulfill my promise to bring you back to this place. 
And there's a reason why. Ultimately, I have a future for you and a hope for you. So settle in. Now, what happened over the next 70 years, you, get, you can read other books of the Old Testament to get some level of an outline. Uh, the, the, probably the best book to read there would be the book of Daniel. And, and in the book of Daniel, what we, what we discover or what we have is how to live in Babylon without embracing the Babylonian way. Now, keep in mind, Jeremiah's message were to those elders that were deported now on their way to Babylon and who would be in Babylon for 70 years. And they, they had to go through a three-year indoctrination process, and at the end of that process, they were either evaluated by Nebuchadnezzar or someone in his court, and then they would have some level of job placement uh, in the Babylonian wheel. And he said, settle in. Figure out how to live there. Figure out how to, 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 to prosper to some degree. Um, and we know that some of them did, and they did well. And even though they lived in a foreign place, they still maintained who, their identity as a follower of Yahweh, of God. Now, you probably have heard of the main four, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But there were others. They're not the only four. And there are some books in the Old, Old Testament that actually give some level of history of what it was like for them to live over these 70 years in a foreign place. Difficult, yes, but not impossible. Now, the reason why I asked you to sort of pretend with me what it would be like if you lived in Jerusalem in 597 uh, and then to give you some level of a history lesson, the reason why I tell you this is because this is what we discover about this passage. Every follower of God in any era is faced with the same task and the same struggle. It wasn't just Jeremiah. It wasn't only Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's because a follower of God is a citizen of the kingdom of God that lives in a particular time or in a particular area. And because they are a follower of God, and they're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, then they live knowing that uh, their values, their goals, their identity is directed by God, not the surrounding society. To say it differently, followers of Christ or followers of God, they live with a certain vision, a vision that is dictated by God. And this is the message of Jeremiah to the elders. Maybe if we were to say it differently, and I'm sure you've heard this, is to be in the world, not what? Of the world. Because vision does something, and this is why it's important for us. Because whether or not we're talking about someone who, who lived in 597 B.C. or we're talking about someone who lives in 2023 here, vision determines everything. How you see the world around you, it's how you see yourself, how you see another person. And the vision it determines your actions, it'll determine your direction, it determines your focus, because it defines who you are. It determines your values, your behavior, the type of life. And, and it only does that for an individual. It does that for a people, a, a community, or, or, or a corporate group. It unifies the people. It makes them one. 
Because if you say, I'm this type of person over here, by saying that, it, you're also saying that I'm also not this type of person. I'm either this type of person or I'm that type of person. I cannot be both. Because what defines me, and I'm using the word vision, what defines me that makes me this type of person, it's going to be in conflict to some degree of what it's like to be that type of person. And so whenever there's conflicts around you, then what's predetermined is how you're going to act regardless of the situation because your identity is over here, not here. And so if there are things that conflict with my vision, how I see myself in Christ, how I see the world uh, through the lens of Christ, how I see another person, if, if this is who I am, when there's something around me that comes in conflict with that, then how I respond to that situation or to whatever that may be, that's already determined because it's tied to who I am as a follower of Christ. Now, if you read the Gospels, what you're going to discover is that Jesus was a master at this. Jesus, part of what you see in the Gospels is how Jesus dealt with all the conflicts around him. And so whenever there was a conflict, whether it be with a people or with a, pers or, or a person or whatever it may be, he never lost track of who he was as God's son. And so that identity then determined how he was, was going to respond to everything around him. It's the same lesson from the book of Proverbs. What's the passage that we read? Where there is no vision, people what? They cast off restraints. They have no direction. They flounder. They're disjointed. Well, the converse of that is just as true. But where there is vision, well, the people prosper. They are together. They're one. And so what I want to remind you of as a follower of Christ is you, you've been given a vision. Now, I don't mean vision like prophetic vision. What I mean is vision is a way to see yourself, to see other people in the world around you. And whenever that becomes in conflict with the world around you, it's not the world around you that defines you. What defines you is that who you are in Christ. You're a follower of him which means you live in his kingdom that has its own set of values, that has its own, it, it, it guides you. That's one of the reasons why I asked Jake to sing that hymn, Be Thou My Vision. To, to say the words of Jeremiah, we could use that particular hymn. Every time I sing this hymn, I'm mindful of this. I mean, listen to the lyrics again. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to say that thou art, thou my best thought by day and by night, waking or sleeping thy present my light. Second verse, be thou my wisdom and thou my true word, I ever with thee and thou with me, Lord, thou and thou only, first in my heart, great God of heaven, my treasure thou art. Great God of heaven, my victory won, may I reach heaven's joy, O bright heaven's sun, heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision. O ruler of all. I'm reminding you, as a follower of Christ, that is your identity that guides you, that, that, that dictates who you are, not the world around you. It doesn't matter if somebody's living in 597 B.C. in Babylon. 
or if they're living in 2023 here, who you are is tied to Christ, not to something else. Just as that image of that hymn, God as your direction, God as your thoughts, God as your light, God, God as your everything, everywhere, always. I don't know if you know the history of the hymn. It, it's, uh, it actually was a Celtic poem that, date back, that dates back to the 8th uh, century. And for the better part of about a thousand years, it just was... Uh, recorded somewhere in some Irish book. And then eventually there were two, two women, Eleanor Hull and, and Mary Byrne, who, who Eleanor translated it into English, and then Mary actually reduced it from the 16 couplets down to the three, the ones that we sing. And it's tied to a legend. The legend is, is with St. Patrick, who lived around uh, 381... A.D. to 460 A.D. And, and St. Patrick, most of us think that he's Irish. He wasn't. He was English. He was kidnapped by the Irish as a little boy and enslaved. And eventually he escaped, and, and it wasn't long after he escaped that he became a Christian, a follower of Christ. And he was so moved by Christ's love for him that what he asked to do was to go back to Ireland and to preach the gospel to those that enslaved him. And so that's what he did. And he had this really unique uh, style of evangelism where he wouldn't just go and preach and then go to a different town. He would actually go among the people and he would live there and, and he, would, he would embrace the world around him, but he would do it differently. He would do it as a follower of Christ. And so sometimes that would call for him to, to be with the people. Sometimes it called for him to, be, to, to maybe be a, a voice of transformation. And there was one particular time, and this is uh, that led to the writing of the poem, which eventually led to the hymn that we sing, is that uh, there was a king, uh, King Lager, who, of Terra, who was a pagan king, and before there was this major uh, pagan festival, the king would go out in this great big ceremony, and he would light this huge light that would be seen all around the hill and, and in the villages uh, around the hill, and, and that would begin the festival. But the festival was tied somewhere close to Easter, and so Patrick, as in, in an in a, uh, act of defiance, he went out and uh, he lit the fire not for the pagan festival, but on Easter Eve to call people back to Easter. And the king was so impressed with his valor and, and his uh, defiance that instead of executing him, he actually began to be a follower of Christ as well. And the king let Patrick continue his work, not just in that area, but in other areas throughout Ireland. Whether it's 597, St. Patrick, or for us today, it's still the same. As a follower of Christ, that is your vision. That is your identity. That determines who you are and then ultimately what you do. Even when those things are in conflict with the world around you. So today I want to remind you, as a follower of Christ, it is your everything. 
Now go and live out of that identity, not the world around you. Oh God, as we look at this hymn, and then at the same time we, we see these passages, and we know that like so many times in the Bible where we read about another person or a group of people and we, we think we're reading about them, the truth is we're reading about us. We can take out the time period and we can change the names and we can insert ourselves, and it is a message to us. And so this message of being in the world but to be not, not be of the world, that's one we want to reclaim again. Remind us of our identity, who we are in Christ, and allow that through the work of your Spirit to be our everything and to guide us and direct us, our thoughts, how we see those around us, whether we're waking or sleeping, to be everything that we are, our true word. Oh, God, our ruler of all, this is what we pray, and we pray it in your name. Amen.